Go ahead, you can laugh. I don't understand why you like talking about this when you can see so clearly that it upsets me. With a single mistake, the entire shot is ruined. Kill or be killed, eat or be eaten. That's how I was raised. You know something? You're a jerk. You can really do something. Don't let your mother tell you otherwise. I knew you were going to do that. God, I wish I was a part of this. Why are you laughing? I heard you. I heard you laughing. How can you be sitting there like nothing's happening? Like he's not gone. He was here and now he's not here. He's gone forever and nobody even knows that. Stop it. You're being hysterical. Calm down. He's dead. He's dead and he's never coming back. And nobody cares that he's really, really, really gone. Sally, go watch TV. Welcome to Mad Men, 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 the weekly show where we discuss a show that used to come out weekly. Each week, we take a close look at an episode of the AMC series Mad Men, which ran from 2007 to 2015. We're changing the conversation of the show all these years later, where one of us is a first-time watcher, and another of us went through it like one time back when it was airing, and then there's me who watches it too much. I'm John Negroni, and don't call me Paxi. I'm not that attractive. Here comes Will Ashton doing a little patio dance for us. Will, you look glamorous. Well, thank you. And it's actually true because you're on your 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 mobile uh, recording in, and it's like really zoomed in on your face. So it's like the treadmill scene. You're yeah. kind of going back and forth. It's perfect. Yeah. Well, I try to please. And finally, it's the blonde Mike Overholz, who is both Swedish and Norwegian. Hey, Mike. What's fun is that I'm neither of those things, and you will be hearing from my lawyers. I love that in this episode of Mad Men, we have so much creativity and warmth and spirit. We're getting out of the routine of the show. And to mark that, I'm getting out of the routine of making podcast puns, at least this week. I don't have any podcast puns. I'm sorry. I couldn't work one out into like when Peggy's mom tells her that she's going to get raped. I was like, that's the one. That's the one that gets a podcast plan. But I couldn't do it. It didn't work. And so here we are. Yeah, let's pretend like you were really busy this week and had no time to do it. And not like <laughs> we spent the entire last episode bullying you about it so that, you know, you just froze up. You, you got to the, your computer, you're going to type, and you just saw Will's very zoomed in face. I just got nervous. I choked. And uh, yeah, no, very, very busy week for me, for sure. But uh, I'm very excited to talk about Mad Men with you boys. Uh, the Arrangements were on season three, episode four. This is the second episode directed by Michael Uppendahl. He did six month leave last episode. Uh, that was the episode that had, uh, that I didn't like as much that ended though with like 15 minutes of Freddie Rumson and Don and Roger hitting the town. And that part I did like, uh, this is written by Andrew Colville and Matthew Weiner Colville. I think this is his first writing credit for the show. Uh, he doesn't have any other episodes this season. I don't know if he has any other episodes in the show itself. I actually don't think he does. Um, so one trick pony here. So the arrangement season four. Will, what did you think? Oh, that was a good ep. I said season four. Sorry. Episode four. <laughs> season three. We got it. You got it. Yeah, eventually. Uh, no, it's a good ep. Uh, I think the main thing I was happy about, as you would expect, is that we get more Salvatore Romano. Yeah, I didn't want to spoil it for you, Will. I almost texted you and Mike, oh, this is a big episode for characters with S-A-L in their names. 
uh, Big Sally episode, Big Sal episode. And so, yeah, the, I knew as I, as soon as we saw Sal and his bed kind of stretched out all fine, I was like, Will's going to have a good time this episode. What about you, Michael? I know you're not as big of a fan as Sal. You're a big fan of like Harry Crane, um, Pete Campbell at his worst, um, the racist characters. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I miss Duck. Like, I, if I could get a <laughs> Duck only spin-off show, man, that's uh, no. I love this episode. I think this is a really great episode. It makes you want to call your dad. Um, yeah, and it's uh, and it's like you can see from the beginning to the end of the episode, like Kieran Shipka learning to act. Uh, so it's it's really fun. Did you, so Will, your first time watching it, when you saw the police, you texted us, you were concerned well, I for you. Sally. <laughs> I texted yeah, you. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I saw the police pull in. I was like, finally, the petty theft is going to get a nice resolution from last <laughs> week. The police are Sally's here. finally going to get some justice. Right. Trump gets indicted, and then Sally Draper gets right. indicted, finally. And then, you know, obviously, Gene wasn't there because he knew, he figured it out, and it's like, I just want clear my hand yeah he's an informant right. the whistleblower <laughs> he's at the police station and who is the police chief but of course chauncey yeah, <laughs> but no it took a little bit of a more dour turn this time around i love that sally's literally driving a car in the beginning of the episode and you're like yeah i'm glad she's going to jail for stealing five dollars <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i mean hey look her foot was not on the pedal to be clear uh yeah big Big episode for Kirsten Shipka, who plays Sally, because she has a big moment in this episode where she has her outburst um, because she hears them kind of like laughing and is clearly like really shaken up by the death of her grandpa. And uh, I mean, who could blame her? But I do want to mark the occasion. Uh, the the actor who plays Grandpa Gene, uh, I'm going to double check his name. I actually don't have it uh, off the top here, but I, I really just want to celebrate how great this guy is i i particularly love the moment when he's with bobby um i mean i always gravitate toward moments with bobby because they're so few and far between but really like when he's just kind of like hanging out with bobby and kind of like showing him the helmet and stuff i mean his acting there is like it's devastating stuff also his scene with betty with like the arrangement papers i mean he's just like clearly uncomfortable but like he has like such a stoicism to him uh he's fantastic uh, all throughout. Um, I still can't find his name. Uh, here we go. Ryan Katrona um, is the actor who plays Gene Hofstadt. Uh, so, terrific send-off for that guy. Does he play Gene Hofstadt number one or number two? I think number two, right? Established. <laughs> Man, William, like, mm. him him, and uh, what's-her-face? Uh, Julie, Judy, whoever. I like that you, like, I remember, I think the last time we talked about her, you were talking like, oh, feel bad for her, poor what's your name? And then, you know, this episode is like, yeah, what's your face? You know, <laughs> who really cares? Uh, also a big episode for Peggy. Peggy has a lot of stuff in here. She wants to move to Manhattan, but she is a bit of a bore. So she kind of has like this weird little side adventure with Joan where Joan is kind of like, I'll help you out girl. And it's, it's pretty fun. Um, Will, I mean, with the Peggy stuff, I mean, it's, it's kind of a brutal scene. Right with uh, with her mother there, and uh, curious what you made of that. Did you did you find yourself connecting? Because I mean, it's it's interesting, right? How so much of this episode is about fathers and sons, but then you also have daughters and a grandpa. You have Peggy and her mother. What what did what did you make of that? Did you feel like that was intentional? Like, is there some sort of through line there? Well, of course, yeah. I mean, that even also ties into the uh, their main client being like this kind of nepotistic little guy who has like these delusions of grandeur 
and the you know they they need him for his wealth but then like the dad's just kind of like uh, you know here's my fail son trying to make up a fake sport you know it doesn't make any sense and they're even like calm down like you know that's it's a little harsh on your, your your kid and it's like well he doesn't have your name does he and you know uh, he didn't make up high lie to be clear high is a real sport sure. he's just trying to like it's like a passion project you get the sense that he sort of like was hustled by like a high lie person like he like he's in some sort of pyramid scheme almost and he's just trying to make it happen because he thinks that he could be like you know a big shot right but yeah i mean i think most of the characters that we see here as far as like their relationship with their parents outside of the the sal storyline here have like sort of a complicated relationship with their parents it's kind of intriguing that they didn't even find a way to put like pete's whole thing with his mom in there just for extra kind of i guess uh residence but um yeah i mean i think you know we we've seen throughout i think the first two and a half seasons now that betty has this sort of concern when she raises sally as far as like she doesn't want to kind of perpetuate the the, the flaws that her mom had I never really got to meet her mom because i think she died before like we met betty right if i'm recalling correctly yeah um but like her presence kind of looms heavily over the character and over the show as well. And there's a sense of like, okay, I don't want to like mess up Sally in that way. But like you see episodes like this and it's kind of like this slow building avalanche where it's like, we kind of know at some point, you know, there's probably going to be a similarly kind of tenuous relationship between Sally and Betty, particularly because as I think I mentioned last week, anytime Sally seems to come to, uh, Betty with any desire to like have a mother or kind of be uh, parented she just kind of like go watch TV go in the other room go away and uh, yeah I mean that's kind of uh, reaches apex with this episode where she's kind of absorbing the the brutality of life and the the ways that uh, someone she loves can just kind of die away in an instant and the world doesn't really stop for that and uh, I mean I don't know what's to come, but I imagine it's not going to be uh, smooth sailing for uh, Sally and Betty to follow. Though, I, I think Bobby's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah, he's got his English muffin. The hell it is. <laughs> uh, Mike, you looked visibly angry while Will was talking. It looked like he didn't agree with that at all, um, that you have a completely different take. Yeah, I mean, I don't think uh, Betty really is aware at all at, uh, you know, wanting to raise Sally differently than the relationship she had with her mother. I think even very specifically, we see Jean uh, recognizing that, uh, uh, that she's fucking it up <laughs> and he's trying to tell Sally, like it should be different for you. Like you could really be something, you know, I saw where we failed with Betty. He even says it to her. He's like, I protected you too much. Uh, you don't understand what the harsh realities of this world are, which really echoes even what Sally is saying at, at the end of the episode. It's like they're ignoring it. They don't actually want to deal with it. And while she's feeling actually and expressing all of this emotion. Uh, and I just, she'll never, uh, um, Betty will never be able to see past her own ways and like her own hubris, which is funny because that's what she says her father is doing in that conversation. Yeah. Her reaction to like the, the arrangement papers being like, I mean, it's such a, I don't know. It, it's such a weird moment for her to get so worked up. Um, 
and sort of like lash out at her father, I'm sure that like weighs on her heavily because he literally dies like, mm-hmm. you know, the next day or two and she doesn't have that closure. And it's kind of similar to, I think it's implied what happened with her mother. She also doesn't have that closure with her mother as well. Uh, notable to bring up, you know, that Jean even says that uh, Sally kind of takes after Ruth more than Betty did. Um, and I think that's uh, kind of an interesting sort of thing to keep in the back of your head if you're watching the show for the first time with Will here. Um, I wanted to call special attention, though, to the Sal stuff, because the Sal stuff isn't as direct. Like, it, it is its own thing, right? Like, I mean, there's not a lot of, like, like we, we don't have, like, a side story about Sal's father or his mother or anything. We have this kind of interesting C-plot with him and Kitty and how he becomes a commercial director. He has this, you know, kind of thing. He's trying to cover up for his lack of interest in Kitty, and which is clearly sparked by a, a real, like, homosexual encounter that he had, and it seems like he's having trouble kind of faking it like he used to, we assume, right? Um, I don't know if, if people read into that differently or think that maybe he's, like, sort of bisexual enough to, like, maybe he did sort of have some kind of sex with kitty before this happened it's not clear it's also not our business um because he's a fictional character but also they, they do have that moment on the bed and i always go back and forth on what's going through kitty's mind when like that expression hits her face because the thing to remember right is like i think when we watch it like the first time i watched it i was just like oh she realizes he's gay oh no and she's upset but th- I, i've kind of come away from that a little bit because i think for the time isn't it more accurate to say like she wouldn't really have that context? Like she wouldn't really know what that means. And so I have kind of a different take on that. I'm curious if you guys share in it. What do you think? Well, I mean, I'm not sure if that's exactly what's going through her head. Obviously her thoughts are sort of racing in that moment, but I think as the scene starts, it's clear that like Kitty's main thing is that she feels her husband is like emotionally distant. Like he's like withholding things from uh her in a way that like in in a more deliberate fashion where it seems like in that moment she's sort of realizing like oh i just don't really even know who this guy is like i've sort of had this impression throughout our marriage and our relationship that he is this kind of like you know reserved but poetic debonair yeah yeah you know like but like maybe like a poetic soul but kind of like a masculine sort of guy but then you see this and like it's maybe one of the few if only times in their uh, marriage relationship that he's really gotten passionate and like exuberant about something. And it's just like, Oh, it's not that he's been withholding this. It's just that I just has had a chance to let it out until now. So I don't know if her thoughts really like, Oh, I married a gay man. So much just like, Oh, I, I don't know who exactly I'm married to at this moment. Mike, once again, I mean, you look like you're about to blow your lid. Um, you seem very upset at Will's words. Yeah, I, definitely. Um feeling just, a ton of, I feel like, you know, Betty, I, I don't know why. Why are you talking about this, Will, when you can see that it upsets me? No. Um, I think, yeah, she, I don't think it's very clear because someone like Kitty who will marry a man like Sal um, has to constantly be lying to themselves. So there's no way she's seeing that and having such a clear realization of like, uh, oh, he's gay. Um, but I do definitely think there is this like dichotomy of I was just trying to fuck this dude and he was so like in uh, unenergetic and worried about work but here he is giving me a whole bye bye birdie scene and like he seems so passionate it's like 
who is this man? I don't know who this is. Like, what's actually going on? I think there's there's a lot racing through her mind, but by no means I think she's going to try to pin it on a ton of other things first before she admits to herself that her husband is a gay man. My my take is like, I almost wonder, and and this is like the newer sort of thing that I've been thinking. I almost get the sense that like she's looking at him and she's sort of like, man, I'm not attracted to him. He's not this sort of like masculine, you know, at least traditionally masculine sort of like attractive kind of suave guy that I thought he was. I I think that's pretty close to what you said too, Will, but like to me, it's almost sort of like on a visceral level. She's realizing like, I love this man platonically, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, and not as a romantic partner, because I think that his expression and the way he presents and stuff is not something that she would be attracted to the same reason that he's not really attracted to her. And so it's like, it's such a tragedy. Um, uh, there yeah. is a huge difference between Sal and his PJs and Don and his PJs. <laughs> Those scenes do completely different things for me. Yeah. Sal wears his PJs. Don's PJs wear him. Um, I also think that there's something to be said to a lighter extent that Sal is maybe like too married to his job to really be, mostly present in his marriage the sense of like you know he's only really like enthused and eager in that way when he's like talking about his work and and what i do as a director on set the next day whereas you know also later in that episode we see him like kind of more eager to get dawn's approval than his wife's approval like he's kind of just like wants that relationship to be more resonant than the one at home. And I mean, the show is often explored, you know, the difficulties of these characters balancing their homework life. And unfortunately, Sal seems to also be a uh, victim of that, which is a shame because I think in like season two, even though they're kind of like playing uh, husband and wife, it seemed like they had a sort of healthier work or sorry, a healthier home life than a lot of the actually, you know, more romantic couples uh, that we see throughout the show. Yeah. Well, it would be easier in the beginning, right? You know, it's when you're living a false life and you're like, you're trying to fully integrate into that. It's like, just gets harder. It doesn't get easier. Yeah. yeah. As somebody who just finished their first year of marriage, you know, uh, there were, there was that fake life going on. My wife didn't realize that I was a podcaster. Just kidding. She knew. Um, She just had that like expression on her face when I first, you know, podcasted. She was just kind of like, she what walked what? into what the second bedroom she thought would be for crafts and saw all the foam <laughs> up on the walls. And she saw the soundproofing and she just knew. Yeah. <laughs> she didn't have the words for it. but <laughs> She needed a weekend to think it over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I, I want to come back to this real quick. I forgot to mention, um, I think it's also interesting that we do get a little bit of William in this episode and you kind of get a sense of what life must have been like for Betty and William as kids when you see how Gene interacts with Bobby and Sally, right? With how like he yells at Bobby for eating an English muffin and yells at Bobby for not liking peaches, but like Sally, he dotes on Sally. He kind of like shelters and everything. And you kind of maybe get the sense that, you know, even if he wasn't exactly like that with Betty, like he claims, right, that he like protected her too much, but it. I don't know. It almost feels like he is sort of also doing that with Sally a little bit. Um, he doesn't, you know, give her the business when she steals that $5. I mean, we assume eventually his, his guilt overwhelms him and he calls the cops as he should. But before that, I mean, he you know, I mean, that, that's the hope, but yeah, 
<laughs> is uh, yeah if you hadn't collapsed at the a and p then they they wouldn't have, they would have had the bandwidth they would have had enough officers on the ground oh yeah to, I mean, he was so worked up about it you know it was like <laughs> it literally it. killed him yeah. to make the decision yeah. that's why sally's so guilty she poisoned him in order to <laughs> escape justice um but yeah no maybe then to that note maybe this episode is more about second chances like gene wants a second chance with um Sally and the way that he feels like he failed Betty. Sal wants the second chance in terms of, you know, he's seeing his job disappear, as he says, and being a commercial director could be like his next sort of chance to really be the artist he wants to be and how that ties into his relationship too. And then we have like the Peggy stuff where I think Peggy honestly is just kind of, she's looking for that like second chance to reinvent herself in new york to, to be that person who actually is fun and has fun <laughs> i love that line she's like well i'm fun and i have fun <laughs> and like when the when the the prospective roommate is like uh oh but uh i i think you should only have the door closed for one thing and he's like what's that what's that <laughs> what's beer <laughs> yeah so maybe maybe that's it maybe we cracked the code I mean, it is fascinating as far as the Peggy's storyline goes, comparing to last week where she's like so on top of it, you know, like giving her secretary the what's what and all that. In this episode, she's so much more like girlish and uh, insecure about herself and where she can go. But yeah, I mean, I think even more so maybe than Second Chance is the idea of like, can you really form your own identity away from your parents? Like we see, obviously, like with the client, this, this person who... It's like, well, why is my wealth matter? Like, I have all these ideas, but it's like, you know, as every uh, Gen Z on uh, TikTok is going to let you know, nepotism is always going to factor into your uh, personal well-being and uh, your livelihood in some fashion or another. And I mean, I, it's not quite the same for the other characters in the show, but the idea, like, obviously, like you said, Peggy wants to kind of move on and find her own identity in Manhattan. And you know, the yeah. idea that, like, her mother is, like, basically you know acting as if you know she stabbed her in the heart for you know just trying to be her own person and subsequently uh on the opposite end we have betty trying to kind of ignore what's really present here and uh just be you know kind of willing to suspend that and be like okay we can kind of deal with a lot of this stuff later even though obviously it's you know necessary enough for him to have moved into their place in the first place is uh yeah, I think that's kind of the, the thorough line of this episode. But like you said, also, yeah. You get a sense that Betty is nowhere near as bad with Sally as her mother was with her, right? With that story of how she walked, like she would literally like drive her out and make her walk home to make her thin. I mean, that is abuse and trauma on a totally different level from what we've seen with her and Sally, right? And I also find it interesting. I, I don't quite remember if this does get paid off later, but we see that Gene, Gene leaves the coats with Betty and he leaves his war stuff with Bobby, but he doesn't leave anything to Sally. The only thing we see her have is the book, but we don't know if he really like gave that to her. So I'm not sure if the episode's trying to say that like him leaving behind those material things was not really like important. What he left behind with Sally was the memories, you know, like eating ice cream together, showing her how to drive and like being there for her that was what was more special that was what was the thing that like sally really wanted and like him trying to leave the material possessions is him trying to like compensate for the lack of memories because he barely pays attention to bobby and betty obviously he feels a lot of guilt there 
Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think it's important to know. Um, and as far as like the, the, the through line Will's talking about, I think we get so many examples of these parental relationships and how they've affected children and how those children's children are being affected. I think it's interesting to see who's trying to like break the cycle, right? Because I would say, hi, lie, man. It thinks he's breaking the cycle. He's not doing what his father did. He's going to try to go out and yeah. you know create his very own business. But what's he thinking about? He's thinking about giving his dad a team for his 75th birthday. So at the end of the day, he, he's doing it for dad. It really seems like Betty, or excuse me, Peggy, is the only one actually breaking the cycle and, and, and becoming her own person. Yeah, you can see that Sally could be like that eventually, too. Yeah, you're seeing you're seeing the makings of it for sure. Um, do we also just think it's a little bit of an Easter egg that uh, Jane says that the ice cream smells like oranges and then he dies? Very uh, just a you know Godfather. Yeah, I think that was pretty deliberate. I mean, yeah, yeah, nice catch. Um, I think for me, when I look back on this episode, I think it's interesting how it's not a big Don episode, really. Like he's kind, he's a very passive character in this. And he's kind of like floating around scene to scene, subplot to subplot. He's kind of there, but he's like, he's clearly uncomfortable by what's going on with the high lie stuff. And then when he tries to take matters into his own hands, he tries to sort of like help this guy because he genuinely seems to feel bad for him. He fails, you know? And so it's, it's, it's interesting. It's the rare Don Draper L, at least <laughs> this point in the series. Who knows what will happen next? Well, but yeah. I mean, I think, that's sort of a deliberate thing in the sense of like, even though Don doesn't really have any lasting parental figures, he is like we see in that one uh, bedroom scene, like he is still obviously haunted by his parents. And this is like you said, or alluded to like the most boyish we've seen um, Don be at this point, you know, like even down to him, like breaking that uh, ant farm thing by accident. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, you know, like a classic, like kid breaks the window playing baseball sort of thing going on there but also yeah like you say he's kind of even at work he's being a little bit undermined by like Pete kind of trying to like be Don and like he's like trying to kind of like look out for everyone's best interest but you know everyone kind of thinks this is the right thing to do except for the guy's dad and then like he's and then obviously he um has no real uh good relationship with his kids at this point and uh Gene's trying to make up for that but he's kind of doing an aggressive and fairly insulting way with Bobby uh, and he's just like, Hey, like, you know, like, don't, don't do that. And he's just like, yeah, I'm going to do it anyway. And yeah, I mean, I think for as graceful as he is, uh, Gene, I mean, about how he's kind of trying to like take Sally under his wing. I mean, the fact that he kind of just undermines Dawn in his own house is also just kind of infuriating in his own little way. Well, he even says it to, to Betty in the conversation about what happens when he dies, right? I can't remember the specific thing he calls Don, but like basically calls him a joker, right? Yeah. I think I think we covered the Peggy stuff a little bit more, but I did want to bring attention to that line that her mother says to her of like just like the cruelty of it. And I was just kind of curious, like, if you thought that like this is more of a question for you, Will. Like moving forward in the show, um, do you think we're gonna get more of like that sort of like fundamentalist like catholic guilt that we've seen with like peggy's background and stuff because i mean we haven't seen father gill in a while i don't think at all in season three and i i guess i'm just kind of curious because like we, we we have that whole sort of like background thing with her where um like basically like her family in brooklyn has like a shared home life right like 
they they were willing to have her stay there. Well, at least her mother is not not her sister, and she's sort of like breaking out of that lifestyle. But like she's also kind of like this. She's a bit of a stodgy Catholic in Manhattan, but she's more of a free spirit to them in Brooklyn. Um, was there anything that you see happening? Like any predictions you have that could uh, be in line with that? So you're asking if Peggy's going to be carboring some of that Catholic guilt, or, is, or are you just saying like the family, like her mother is going to be a more like negative presence physically? More or less, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. Like I said, I mean, I feel like this season, even a little bit last season, she's been kind of going back and forth as far as like how she's growing and progressing. Like, I mean, we look at this last episode and she's, you know, super on top of it. She's like the most coherent high person ever. Uh, and, you know, she's kind of, you know, really proving herself. And obviously we've seen that throughout the office, but yeah, this is the first time where she seems like, even though she is ostensibly trying to be a more progressive forward woman, she's also like kind of being regressed because her mom is still kind of this overbearing presence who won't accept that she's growing up and moving on and trying to be her own woman at this point. So, um, I guess to answer your question, I think it's probably going to be that kind of push and pull throughout. I mean, I imagine as the Pope literally dies in the context of this episode. Right. I mean, I think because the decade is being more progressive and liberated that she'll probably become a little bit more emboldened to be herself and outspoken and kind of go against the radical ideas of that Catholic upbringing. But I mean, the president is Catholic. I was just going to say that. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. The, the president, uh, JFK, is Catholic, oh, yeah. and he gets First mentioned one. in this episode. Yeah. And uh, I think Sal is Catholic, and also, um, I mean, read into this what you will, but Vietnam gets brought up in this episode. Just um, putting that out there. Something's going on over there. I don't know if you all remember anything happening in the 1960s as it relates to Vietnam. Open a history, perhaps. Are you talking about Apocalypse Now? Isn't that the 70s? It is. <laughs> so, um, I don't know if you two will be able to answer this question because it might be spoiler related, but I was kind of wondering if Sal's Quicksilver dies. Yeah. In Avengers age of Ultron. Sure. Um, but no, Sal being given this sort of, uh, director position kind of transitioning from, tr- or at least trying to transition from like storyboarding to being a director. Is that also kind of supposed to be, metaphorical to him coming out and like kind of being able to be liberated in sexuality i mean is that how i'm kind of supposed to read in this episode i don't think so i think it's more sort of like it's commenting on how he's kind of getting his second chance at being a director even though they didn't sell the ad um it's funny because like you have peggy too who kind of like looks at don a little bit all smug about the ad not working that was my best favorite moment of this. It's such a good little little face she makes. Mm-hmm. But I mean, also, you get the sense that like Don knew it wouldn't work. Like, I feel like he was just trying to like do what he does. Um, but yeah, ultimately, uh, he was wrong. Like the, the client didn't go for it, even though that's what they asked for. Um, and I felt bad. For, I felt bad only for Sal in that moment. Yes. You know, and, and like you see it on his face, like he's in the background of the shot um, and you kind of see like it's a big it's a big uh, down for Ken Cosgrove. You know, this, in this episode, like the winner of the episode in the Pete versus Ken battle is Pete. And you see like Pete's kind of like sorted through his like initial wave of like 
temper tantrums. And now he's kind of like settling into like, I'm going to crush this little maggot. Like that's kind of where he's at at this point. The high ally thing is a big, big win for Pete Campbell. Like Lane is showing him affection. Yeah. I was going to say, for as much as you guys love Ken, I feel like this is not a great episode for him because he was bullying poor Peggy. He was bullying for Peggy? No, bullying. <laughs> Harry Crane was behind that. He's the one who come. I he's that's all Harry. And Ken also, was just there. I think I think um it was I thought it was kind of funny. <laughs> it's harmless for sure. <laughs> I think I think that was a fun prank. I mean, look, Will, we know that you don't like pranks. You're a straight shooter, but Mike and I, we've been known to to cut a rug here and there. Uh, I'm just saying, I mean, you know, you, you vouch for this guy, say he's good guy, Greg over here. But <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he, he's Paul's the, the one who wrote the He is complicit in it. You guys are trying to If anything if anything, I think it's because they like Peggy a lot. And I think that, uh, I think, except for Harry, I think Harry's just a dick. And um, I think he's just trying to be mean, jealous. Yeah. But also, what does what does Ken do wrong in this episode, right? Like, he does, like, for his project that fails, he did everything he was supposed to do. Like, he delivered what he was supposed to. And then you look at Pete, who, um, you know, does get a million-dollar contract. But where did it come from? Because he fucking went to college with the guy and has he's yeah, like yeah. using his family's tie-ins, right? So it's like yet again, so Pete, Pete wins, but it's because Pete is Pete, not because yeah. he's actually I don't know. Pete's tough. Almost clear sill number two. His personal connections and his upbringing paved the way for where he'll be today. Yeah, the the inheritance from his father, you know, um, some arrangements uh, in that respect, right? Um, <laughs> I didn't have too much else. I mean, I wanted to note that uh, I think it's interesting how Joan, you kind of get that sparkle of like how she kind of misses the lifestyle that she sees Peggy kind of embarking on. Like you can kind of see it. It's subtle. But I think that like when she's talking about, it's almost like when Sal lights up for the patio ad, Joan kind of lights up a little bit and it's just like, you know, two girls on an adventure in Manhattan or something like that. Like you can kind of see her a little bit like, ah, like that pained, like I miss that and I'm not in a life that I really want to be in right now. I mean, but but she's also like kind of lately mothering in that way too. Like kind of just being like, hey, you know, like I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I think it'd be nice if you did it this way. Great advice from Joan too. It's just like, ranch out <laughs> like yes peggy please <laughs> like she she's already done a little bit of branching out right like she went to that bar and stuff and it, it's the peggy way like it took her like six episodes to change her hairstyle and to like follow advice from people who are like peggy have fun and be fun um so she she learns things slowly the only quick decision peggy ever made was fuck that kid <laughs> At first, when you said that. I thought you were talking like Pete was the like fuck that Pete Campbell. Then uh, yeah, I got it eventually. Um, are, are you guys sad that uh, Grandpa Gene is out of the picture, or are you happy he's dead? Well, <laughs> I, you know, as the war pig he is, you know, I uh, I killed lots of them. <laughs> exactly. It's uh, no, I they were trying I, to kill I, us. I think I would. I, I I always wish I would get more of him and Don specifically. I think there was a, a lot of dynamics there. and They clearly um, avoid each other. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, are. he's a great actor. I think he really brings some fun stuff out. But also, life moves on. Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, as a character, I mean, I'm not going to deny like the, the performance is certainly exceptional. But if we're talking just the character, I mean, there's no denying that he is 
uh, not lived an entirely virtuous life. Uh, you know, I think even and particularly his insistence on putting salt on ice cream suggests that he is a man of uh, degenerate's uh, values, perhaps. But uh, but I think, you know, in in certain moments, certainly as far as his sort of fostering relationship with Sal or uh, yeah, with Sally. Uh, he, I think his heart was in the right place, and maybe some of his methods were a little unorthodox, but I think he was trying to look out for Sally's best interests, and I think Sally does recognize that. And I, I do think, ultimately, she's going to be worse off by not having a figure like Jean in her life who actually was interested in her uh, well-being and upbringing in a way that actually, you know, expresses her interests and, and her desire to be, uh, you know, someone who is parented in any particular way so yeah yeah it's, it's a tough moment at the end right when when don's going to you know he, he leaves uh betty in bed and uh he opens up the door he's like okay you're gonna go check on your daughter and like she is sleeping but he just looks at her and then he's like ah she's fine <laughs> and it's like don's always i feel like on the on the precipice of, be, of being a good dad and uh just then never does it um, I was also going to say, if you're keeping score at home, we are officially at the one parent death per season so far. <laughs> wow. Um, who, who will it be next season, right? Uh, there's always got to be somebody. Um, I want to go back to the patio commercial thing, too, because I think there are two layers to this. One is that I kind of get the sense on this rewatch that Don is almost sort of like kind of like slacking off even more than usual. I think you get the sense that he's just kind of like throughout the season so far, the stakes haven't been that high for him. And I think part of it is because a, the agency was bought out. He no longer feels like he's the partner of an agency and he's really like a co-owner of it. And B, I think that he's made so much money at this point. This is like far removed from Don at the first season where five grand kind of put him out. He made half a million dollars in this last, like, you know, set of months. And I think that like the patio thing just shows that like at this point he is just sort of like new business, new business, new business. And that creative soul is starting to like dwindle, quite honestly. And I think that's partly why he's just like, I'm not even gonna fight that battle. I'm not gonna I don't care if we get patio or not. Uh, I just kind of care that, you know, I'm just gonna do what they say and focus on other things. Um, especially because like when he loses out on the Madison Square Garden thing. I think that really also kind of just like, what's the point of this? I think he's just like getting more and more disenchanted because I like how, what this episode is saying about what happens after that, when you just sort of succumb to what non-creative people tell you that they want, because most of the time people don't know what they want. You know, they see the patio ad and as Roger astutely points out, like what they really wanted was Anne Margaret. They wanted like sexiness. They wanted like that to like, bring about like uh, people make people want to drink diet patio or whatever. And I think that like just trying to rip off the entire like opening of bye bye birdie doesn't accomplish that. And a Don, I think in a better place would have recognized that and would have had a, a pitch ready to go that would essentially like do what they're asking, but in a way they're not expecting because that's, you know, it, it's like the law of when you try to do something too similar to something else, people notice it. And, and it's, weird it's jarring you know like when they're saying like there's something off about it it's just i can't quite place it it's like it's because you've already seen the opening of bye bye birdie and that's what you want to see like you don't want to see a version that's really really similar to it great lesson in creativity i mean yeah i think there's always going to be a part of don that 
is kind of haunted by, you know, being in California, getting that taste of liberation, freedom. And now he's just kind of going through the motions as far as like, well, Betty's going to have a, a new kid on the way. I'm kind of expect to be in this office, do this thing, be this kind of stern figure. Like he's kind of going through the motions at this point without. He's not even having an affair. I'm worried about it. Right. Him. Yeah. <laughs> he's not going <laughs> to the movies anymore as Peggy wants to point out. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, it just seems like he's just kind of like, you know, sleepwalking through life and work at this point. Uh, you know, but, uh, which, yeah, it's, you know, kind of a sentiment of the times too. Right. Uh, if you look at the, the, the status of America in 1963, especially when it comes to the younger generation, the rise of capitalism, um, and also the rise of like, I guess that's John's putting it, creatives. And I think that's where you're, you're seeing Don have his struggles. So, although I don't think he understands that that's what's actually happening right now. Um, but yeah, he definitely doesn't care about the money anymore. I think he's just waiting to be inspired. Yeah. He's like comfortably numb, I guess. Yeah. Gene, Mr. Mr. Health inspector over here telling Betty, like, don't smoke that Betty. You're committing suicide. He says, Kind of the rare thing, like you don't expect an older character in the show, especially to be sort of like, uh, you know, harsh and critical about people smoking on the show. I thought that a good thing to point out since that this is where the show began, right? With uh, Don selling Lucky Strike on the It's Toasted campaign. So isn't that also what, what like the cause of uh, her mom's death, right? Didn't she die of cancer? I don't remember if they specified what kind of cancer it was. Uh, I'll double check that because if so, Michael, that is a a brilliant observation and what would make him be more keen to that. Even if it's not that kind of cancer, Gene's not a smart guy. He probably just hears cancer and it's just like smoking causes. He, he might've just, you know, put it together even, uh, you know, inelegantly. Good job, Mike. You you did you did a great job this episode. Like you got the highlight account. Will's over here at patio. I don't know what he's doing. I had to keep him away from all the Shylocks in college. <laughs> um, while I look that up, do, yeah, do uh, oh, I, I, no, never mind. That's not right. Uh, while I look that up, uh, did you guys have any final stuff you wanted to bring up about the episode? Good episode. I think we all liked it. Um, well, I did want to highlight. I I don't know the character's name, but I think the actress is uh, Carla Gallo, who is uh, potentially Peggy's new roommate. Um, I, I know her mainly from, um, like some of the Judd Apatow productions. Yeah. Californication, bunch of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about that. I, I mainly know her from, uh, like forgetting Sarah Marshall. And I think she was in, um, super bad as well. Uh, I think, she, I think she's also in Gimps the Greek, but I mean, she's just like a really funny, like, uh, sporting actress. I feel like she never really got like a prominent role unless there was some TV thing I don't know about, but I don't know. She only has like one scene here, but she's funny. And, uh, yeah, I thought it was. I don't know if she's coming back for her future episode, but Will over here. She's funny, she's fresh, and she's having a great time. Yeah, you should have let the patio count. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, they should have hired her, huh? Um, I can't find it. Uh, I cannot find um, any any information. Yeah, I I thought I found it, and then I realized that I was uh, not looking at the right thing. I mean, I, I think there is something, even if it is cancer related, I, I do think, you know, like obviously death is on Gene's mind and like losing his wife potentially going to be dying. And, you know, at, in his mind, like thinking like I'm good, I could die any minute at this point. I'm sure, you know, the, the, 
the effects of cigarettes were weigh on him as far as like you know be in your kid's life you know don't you know yeah you're just piggybacking off of mike's i know i'm just saying even if it isn't that i'm saying that he's on the right train of thought um all i'm seeing here is that she died of cancer so i think that's all we have to go off of um i'm sure gloria she's uh heartbroken after you know finding out that uh that gene has passed yes she saw the writing on the wall I, I do think it's interesting that in this final episode with him, he's a lot more lucid than we've seen him previously. Like he's not having as many episodes and it's almost like it's kind of luring you into a false sense of like, Oh, he's fine. Right. But I think even he kind of like knows that like, he's kind of, I think he's feeling it. He's kind of feeling like, yeah, I'm on my last leg here, but he's still dry. He was still driving. He was still doing what for uh, So there you go. That's all I have for this episode. Uh, next week. We're going to talk about The Fog, which is episode five, season four. And I don't remember what happens in this episode necessarily, but um, I think... It's a ripoff of The Mist. Yeah, there you go. We're not quite halfway through season three, but uh, yeah, we're getting getting close to the halfway point of the show. Mike, you do know there is a movie called The Fog, right? Yeah, but it's not a ripoff of that one, actually. It's specifically The Mist. Okay. Fog is like a lesser known 70s horror, though, isn't it? Like, uh, I feel like pe- more people know about The Mist. It's John Carpenter. I don't know what you're talking about. It's one of their less, one of his lesser ones, though. Not lesser in terms. I like The Fog. But uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't think people like remember that movie as much as they do like The Thing and Halloween. Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, if we're talking that. But I mean, yeah, I get what you're saying. But you're also kind of wrong, I think. Mike, Mike is trying to appeal to the next generation and trying to like bring them in and make them feel welcome. And you're, you know, you have a sign on the door that says only John Carpenter super fans, please. Um, but we do, I mean, I don't want to jinx it because, uh, who knows what happens, but we may have a special guest for that episode. For the fog? Yeah. Who? I mean, are you going to cut this out or I don't know what you're. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I don't know who you're talking about. We'll talk about bring uh, Ben on. Oh, oh, I remember. I remember. I remember. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. We'll see. We'll see. No promises. No promises. Yeah. I don't even know what we're talking about. I'm glad you guys are having a fun madman chat outside of the group. <laughs> it's true. Um, I love inside jokes. I hope to be a part of one someday. Happened, uh, Mike, what happened was, uh, you know that I used to send any message, like any tweet or anything that comes on my timeline about madmen. Like, uh, yes. I'm going to keep doing this until we end this podcast. Um, so I was doing, which is why I'm trying to end this podcast as quickly as possible. And, uh, 85% of the tweets, I think, uh, maybe more at this point that I send are from this one guy who constantly tweets about Mad Men. And so John, at one point was like, can you just like ask him if you do you on the show? And I did. He was like, yeah. And I was like, okay, what episode from season three would you want to do? He said the fog. So that's just going to happen. We got John Slattery. We got John Slattery, director. <laughs> Might as well have. Maggie Same profile. Morris? Yeah, yeah, Maggie Morris. Is that good? It's fine. It's good. Okay. It's, I don't think it's as good as Confess Fletch. Hmm. He, he's only like a supporting role in that one, right? I mean, overall, as, as a movie, oh, okay. I'm not talking about John Slattery directing versus John Slattery as a drunk yeah. former cop in a bar. Gotcha. I didn't see Confess Fletch, but I heard it was good. All right. That'll do it for this week's episode of Bad Men, 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 and next week we'll be back, of course. No trivia. I didn't really have any trivia. I'm looking at the trivia one more time, and yeah, not much. Do you at least have the rating? How did this episode do compared to the rest of the season? 
Oh yeah, I forgot to look at the ratings. Yeah, you're just like um, it's, now. You're just like yeah, whatever. Just going the most. <laughs> yeah, whatever. No Let's puns. go home. This is the lowest rated episode of the season. Um, Get out! No way. Yeah, yeah. It, it is. So I, I mentioned last week that it's been declining since se- uh, episode one of season three. Um, steadily. So there was 2.76 million, then 1.9, then 1.6, and now we're at 1.51. But the show is going to crawl back up from here with only like one aberration. And and to be clear, like 1.51 is still higher than most episodes in season two. So it's it's certainly not like a big, you know, like, oh no, Mad Men in trouble. Uh, they did finish the show as far as uh, we remember, right? Um, but yeah, yeah, just kind of a notable noticeable dip um, until it gets back up. This is the 30th episode of Mad Men, though, by the way. But all right, we'll be back. Thanks so much for listening. And uh, we're going to go make some arrangements for our personal and professional lives. That's what happens when I wing it okay. on, at the end of these what things. What if this is like no. the very last episode? We just ended the show here with like no warning. No closure. I mean, we'd be like, the listeners would be like Sally, right? right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It just ended mm. forever. <laughs>